Welcome to the Decompress with Jess podcast, a podcast about mental health, self-esteem, and everything in between. A space to decompress with your everyday average person, Jess. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Decompress with Jess. Ugh, Marissa has been on before. She is a coach, relationship researcher, and expert, author, and writer for Psychology Today. She's been on with us before to talk about relationships, and she is so good and so kind and genuine. We wanted to have her back on again, so today we're going to talk about love languages. Marissa, fill us in. What's new? How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so happy to be back on the podcast with you. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank God. Almost done with work. I'm excited for the summer. I feel like the last time we did it was October and it was cold and I can't believe that time flies. Can you believe that was October? Time flies. And also it's just like with the nice weather, the amazing sunshine and things just opening up. I feel like there's just kind of like this renewed energy, mm-hmm. which is just like wonderful, wonderful for mental health. Yeah. And it really makes such a difference because I feel like with the COVID and everything going on, everyone's kind of still, you know, depressed and everything seems bleak sometimes, but sometimes when the sun comes out in the morning, I'm like, no, the sun is out. Like it's going to be a really nice day. <laughs> Exactly. Getting in touch with nature, you know, getting out there. It can be so healing. Yeah, totally. So today we're going to have Marissa on and talk about something she probably talks about 10 million times a day, but it's important because we're going to talk about love languages because I feel like I see it so much on social media and I feel like people are talking about it more. And it's so interesting because like we were just talking about this before we recorded, but you know, people are like, my love language is this, and this is what I have to do. And I feel like everyone thinks it's just a buzzword or phrase. And they're like, this is what we have to do. And this is this, and this is that, but the lines can get blurred sometimes. So I feel like we should have a clear definition and who better to explain it than you? (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And, you know, I really do. Everyone is talking about love languages and I think it's important to understand. And sometimes, you know, people kind of get stuck on, this is my love language. This is, therefore, this is how I like to both give and receive love. And that is it. Nothing else counts, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So I'll just kind of give a quick rundown for people that are unfamiliar with love languages. So love languages was initially conceived of by Dr. Gary Chapman, and he has an amazing book about the five love languages, and they are words of affirmation, quality time, um, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. So um, I'll just do like a quick description of each of them, just so everyone is familiar. So words of affirmation essentially is giving a compliment to your partner. Um, And of course, even better if this is a genuine compliment where you're pointing out something about your partner and maybe their character. Or um, I love how kind and thoughtful you are. So giving them a genuine compliment. Physical touch is obviously touch, which could be cuddling, massage. It could be physical intimacy. Uh, So words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service is doing something for your partner. So for example, um, maybe helping out around the house, doing a chore, or maybe taking on one of the responsibilities. So it kind of takes some of the burden off of your partner. 
Then you also have um, quality time, which is spending time together. Now, the key with quality time is that you are engaged with your partner during that time. So it's not just two people sitting across from one another, you know, focusing on their devices, whether it's their phone, their iPad, whatever it is, but you are engaged in a joint activity or maybe even just a conversation, but you are spending time together focusing on one another. And the last one is gifts. It doesn't have to be something like cars or jewelry, though it can be. But this can just be something, you know, handmade or just even picking up something from the store that you know that your partner appreciates and likes. And the purpose is really just to show that you are thinking about your partner. So that's just like the quick rundown on love languages. And one of the, well, actually, I will say that if you are interested in figuring out what your love language might be, you can actually go onto Gary Chapman's website. He does have a love language quiz. And the cool thing about it is that it doesn't just put you into one category as like, this is your love language, but it will actually give you all five of them and it will show the percentage of each. So you can look to see like, what are the two highest love languages that, that appear and, um, basically what this is, is it's showing the way in which you receive love or the way in which you like to be shown that you are cared for by your partner. I think that that's beautiful because I really like what you said, how quality time, for example, you're like, it has to be time that you're spending with your partner, not just being on your phone, things like that. So once we figure out which love languages we lean towards, because it doesn't have to be one, it could be more than one, it could be a mixture of them. That's why I like it's the percentages. I feel like some people might feel like, oh my gosh, okay, so I'm going to check this off today. I said they looked nice. I bought something for them. So I did it. I checked it off. We have to be careful because it's not that everything's in a box, everything's fluid, but you also can't do it just to do it. You actually have to feel it. So I feel like it's nice that everyone's talking about this a little bit more because it shows everyone wants to be vulnerable enough to allow that love in. And also we kind of try to want to figure ourselves out more or less. Yes. Yes. Um, It helps us get, I, I feel like the quiz is definitely helpful because it gives us a better sense of, you know, how we like to receive love. And to your point, you know, we really need to be authentic when it comes to expressing our love and admiration for our partners, because yes, it's not just checking boxes like, okay, you know, I want points to my partner today. Therefore I'm going to quickly like be perceived of as authentic. Um, also you can do something that falls into multiple categories. I mean, one of the ones that comes to mind right away for me is, you know, imagine cooking dinner, like having a date night where you cook dinner with your partner. So that already just covers acts of service. So like you might be helping your partner like prep dinner, which might be taking some off of their plate from having to do. And it's also quality time as you might like, you know, put on music in the background, have conversation, prep together and sit down and enjoy a meal. So a lot of the activities that you might want to plan can touch on a few of them. The other important thing to remember is your primary love languages. I don't want to even just say love language because when I focus on one People kind of get stuck on it and they're like, that's it. That's the only way I like to receive love. So your primary love languages, whichever those are, they're not necessarily the same as your partners. And people sometimes get stuck where they're like, you know what? Physical touch is really important to me. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to get 
very kind, but that isn't necessarily how your partner likes to receive love. Perhaps acts of service or quality time or gifts are more important to them. So it's really about understanding not only your own love language, so you can share that with your partner, but understanding what your partner's love languages are as well, so that you are acting in a way that coincides with the way in which they like to receive love. I was actually just going to touch on that. It's funny. We're always on the same wavelength because I was thinking there could be a lot of miscommunication sometimes. And this doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship. This could be a relationship with your friends and stuff. If you think everybody wants to receive love the way that you want to, you're going to fall into a hole because what if I like words of affirmation and physical touch, but somebody else likes Uh, quality time and acts of service. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm giving them all these words of affirmation. I'm saying they look so nice and I'm, you know, always hugging them and this and that. And they still don't feel like I'm giving myself to them, but that's because they like something else. So do you feel like partners or friends, everyone has to have a similar love language for it to work or are people able to have different ones? Like how would you be able to work towards that more? You definitely don't need the same love language to be in a satisfying relationship. And I'm using the term relationship like broadly defined friendship, romantic relationship, you know, um, a relationship with one of your family members, whatever it is, you just need to be able to have a conversation in which you go over what is it that you want? Like, how do you like most feel appreciated by me? How can I communicate to that in a, to you in a way that you'll receive it and fully understand like my love and devotion for you? Um, you know, and, and to your point, it may be a situation where, um, you are constantly of service and picking up things or running tasks and trying to help your partner out and making their day a little bit easier. And your partner like might be saying, you know, I just feel like we're not connecting. I feel, how are you not appreciating what I'm doing for you? So then you in turn get upset that you're like doing all of these acts of service and your partner isn't receiving it as such. And it can create this friction or tension within the relationship when in fact, your partner may say, you know, you never tell me that I look beautiful or you never compliment me or whatever it is. And that may be what they're waiting for, but having a better understanding of this is really, really helpful. Now that's not to say that you need to like stay in a lane and it's like, okay, like they like, you know, words of affirmation. Therefore that's all I'm going to do. Listen, if you can touch on all the love languages and then some, that's even better. But if you can best understand like how your partner wants to receive love and get a better understanding of them, that can just enhance your relationship. Yeah, because I think at the root of it, everybody wants to be understood and appreciated. So, you know, as long as someone is trying and you're able to communicate that, because I feel like a lot of the things are miscommunication with someone, because if you don't have that conversation, how will the person know? I mean, it's something different. If you tell someone, I really feel like I would be better appreciated if you do this more or do that more. And then they hear you and they're like, okay. And they still continue to do it. Then that's like a story for a different day. But if they're 
really trying and you have a conversation with them, it's almost like, I feel like we all want to be mind readers in a sense. And I'm very guilty of that. And I need to work on that because I always think that people know what I want and what I need because I don't want to bother anyone. So I feel like they would just know that I like words of affirmation or they would just know that I appreciate physical touch. But, and then if I don't receive it, I'm like, oh, well, you know, they don't like me. (laughs) Right. right. And and it's just, you know, the the idea of a mind reader too, you may feel like, well, I'm throwing out these subtle or maybe not so subtle hints about what it is that I like. Why are they getting it? And perhaps they're just not, catching those hints or maybe they need like a direct conversation i mean communicating with your partner about your needs is so important and i find that many of the people that i work with are hesitant to do that because they feel like talking about needs implies that they're needy mm-hmm. and that that's not the same thing it is very very important to be clear about your needs in a relationship because that's how you and your partner are going to grow together and strength in your partnership. Absolutely. Now that's, that's very good advice for people who are in relationships. What do you have to say for people who aren't in relationships and are just dating? What is their approach to meeting people and their love languages? Do they just feel it out or are they open? Do they have a conversation? Cause sometimes I feel like also too soon can be soon to like have conversations about this sometimes. You know what? I think you have to do ultimately what's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was like listening to you ask that question, I was like, I wonder if that would even be like one of those good topics for early dating experiences. And I was like considering it. And, you know, there isn't like you, you like, you know what you're most comfortable with. You want to get into these conversations. I think that that's wonderful and healthy. And um, remember several years ago when um, the 36 questions, I mean, the 36 questions that make you fall in love from Arthur Aaron's study was originally published in 1997, I believe. Mm -hmm. But it was a thing around like 2015 where it came out in that modern love article by Mandy Lynn Catron, where it was like to fall in love with anyone do this. I think that was the title of the article. Definitely check it out. If I you have to look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it was like those 36 questions to generate interpersonal closeness. And pretty much after that article came out, cause it was like right before Valentine's day going on first dates, essentially going through the 36 questions. And it's just like a really, really great way to get to know a person at an intimate level. It requires a certain level of vulnerability to answer those questions. And you really get to know who a person is. And, you know, in this era of where we so many of us are connecting online and meeting one another through online dating. A lot of those early relationship experiences where it's like, you know, getting to know you, what do you do? What are your hobbies? What are your interests? Those happen online. Sometimes those even just happen in the basic profile. So by the time you actually get to that in-person date, you're like three, four dates in, like you're at the point where you can actually have more vulnerable conversations If you're ready to do so, the most important thing is like, you are comfortable. Absolutely. And I feel like even having those conversations with someone, you're learning more about yourself because at the root of it, all our love languages, I feel like are a reflection of something in our childhood or how we feel about ourselves because we all need different things. Where do you think the root is for all our love languages? 
I think you hit it on the head. I think it's like, you know, impactful experiences in our lives. And that can be early attachment to primary caregivers, perhaps how um, we felt most loved and most secure with them. It can also be formative relationships. So like, you know, maybe it was a a loving relationship, romantic relationship, or a loving friendship. But any of those formative experiences, they shape us and they, they can definitely impact the trajectory of all of our future relationships. And it makes it all so individualistic because even though there's all these love languages, my words of affirmation might be different than your words of affirmation. And Mm -hmm. my quality time, what it looks like for me might be different than what your quality time looks for you. So even though I feel like it's helpful, right, to go on the website and take the quiz and see what you are and read about it, like we have to be careful not to put ourselves in that box. Where do you think social media plays a role in love languages? Do you think it has a good impact or do you think it has the opposite effect? I think that um, a major role that social media has played is just kind of getting the idea out there. Cause I mean, to your point, like, I feel like all of a sudden it just kind of became like a buzzword and everyone's talking about it. Um, even in therapeutic settings, you know, one of the things that I feel like most people come armed with is like, yes, I know my love language and I know my partner's love language. And we took the quiz and I'm like, great. Like the more education you have around relationships and relationship science, like, cool. Like, I think that that's wonderful. And it also helps with like self-awareness and understanding your partner better. Um, So, you know, I think that social media can kind of be a helpful tool if we use it to explore like principles of relationship science. And it's just been like a really wonderful way to spread information. Of course, we always need to be careful when we get information on social media, what our sources are. (laughs) Right. That's what I was going to say, because even though it's very good at getting the word out, I feel like if I read something and imagine if I came on this episode and I was like, Marissa, I read this and this means this and you're the expert. You're like, well, Jessica, it doesn't really mean that it could mean something else. We have to be careful about where we're getting our information. But this might be one of the only times where social media is positive because it is getting the word out there. Because so many times I've heard people, even at work, they're like, well, my love language is this. And they're like, oh, my love language is that. And it's just such a cool conversation to have with everyone because I feel like nobody ever knew about this up until like over the past few years, it's been kind of like a trend where people want to read about it, want to talk about it. So I feel like, do you see that more with the um, the clients that you have that they want to talk about it more? I'm starting to see a lot more of a focus on understanding the scientific underpinnings of like what makes relationships successful. And there is a real science. I mean, I, you know, do academic research on this topic, like the lab that I worked in, you know, that it it focused on this. And I think that that's wonderful because we can extract, you know, principles from science as to like what, what makes some relationships so much more satisfying and successful. And then how, I mean, the, the important part is in that application piece. So even if we have the data, how can we take the data and employ it in our everyday lives? And just even, you know, research, I mean, you know, relationship science is this small 
you know, multidisciplinary field that pulls from other areas, such as like psychology, sociology, anthropology, philosophy, like all with the goal of really understanding what love is. Um, But even just in psychology in general, we're starting to see like more of a focus on, you know, positive psychology, social psychology in terms of like, how can we improve our overall well-being? How can we enhance our happiness? Um, And I love when we can, you know, not only just come up with like, these are tools we can use, but they're grounded in research. So there's like real data to back it up. I think it's really powerful. And that's, you know, that's why I love psychology today. And that's kind of the focus of, you know, my column. It's a scientific take where I try to, you know, marry essentially these academic studies that are big in the field with real take-home tips that couples can use to enhance their relationships and lives. I love that you do that. I feel like what you're doing is so groundbreaking because you're making something that's objective and uh, subjective and everyone has their opinion and you're putting something objective and tangible to it because yeah, like what makes a relationship work? I'm sure a lot of people have their own ideas, but how cool is it that there's actually a science behind it and there's data and there's statistics. And you know, if you follow that, I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but how cool is it that people could be pointed into a, a direction for something. So with that being said, is there is there research on love languages or is it emerging or is it more focused right now on the relationships overall? So there is some research, um, not so much, you know, you know, Gary Chapman wrote his book on it and he's the one that kind of conceptualized it. So that's like coming from him, but there have been other studies where they actually did something um, known as factor analysis, which is just a statistical method. And that, that um, some research does so, show support for these five different love languages. So, so there is some research showing that like, yes, this, this is a thing. But that's cool, though, because it's showing that the research backs it up. And then also when people are talking about it, it kind of makes them feel like they're not just talking about something random and it probably helps people understand it better. Yeah. And, and also just um, another really great study that came out, I think, in the last couple of years, and I believe this was by... Samantha Joel and her colleagues was basically looking at like one of the most important components of relationship satisfaction is like perceptions of commitment in a relationship. So it's all about like how a person is perceiving the relationship and perceiving the effort and commitment put forth by their partner. So anytime where you can strengthen the relationship, focus on the relationship, come together, that can also just enhance your understanding of one another and your commitment to one another. But that's so mind blowing because my perception of things might be different than your perception of things. And if we don't have that conversation and communicate, can you imagine I'm going along one way, you're going along another way. And the whole time we think everything's great. No, they're (laughs) conversations. They they can be difficult. That's why counseling. And that's why, you know, like there's, there's ways that couples can navigate some of these difficult conversations, but they're important to have. I think people don't feel comfortable. People don't like obviously the feeling of being uncomfortable. So to have those conversations, you're really putting yourself out there. You feel uncomfortable, but in the long run, it's helpful because otherwise it's just a slow burn of, 
answering questions in your head and never asking the other person. And then you ask them one day and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was this. And everything could have just been solved like way long ago. And you could give yourself an inner peace because otherwise you're disrupting your peace if you don't ask. Yes. Yes. And if you just, if you don't ask questions and you keep things on, you know, the surface level, you're really not getting to that point of ever going deep in the relationship and navigating like the complexities and intricacies of the fact that like in a partnership, you are different people that were, you know, raised potentially differently, have different views of the world. So you have to get to like, understand one another. And there's going to be issues that you come across over the course of your relationship, but it's how you navigate them and how you talk to one another and being proactive and having these difficult conversations and being kind and compassionate to one another and to yourself during these conversations that really is what's needed to keep that bond. And not even that, like you said, to go deeper because a relationship is always going to have conflict. That doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. It means you're trying to understand each other because think of the word language. Like if someone speaks one language and someone speaks another language, I'm really trying to understand you. So if I speak English and someone speaks Spanish, I'm truly trying to understand the point they're trying to get across. So love languages is the same thing. We're trying to all figure out what understanding of each other we're trying to get across so we can better communicate with each other Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's all about getting a better understanding of our partner so that we can show up for one another in the relationship I totally agree. Marissa, I can't thank you enough for coming on again. You have to come on again after this too, because the last episode blew my mind. This episode blew my mind. And I love how you always explain everything with a scientific background, but you have such a sense of understanding and your voice is also very calming. So we really appreciate you coming (laughs) on. Before we wrap up, please tell the listeners again where they can reach you and any upcoming projects you have that you want to let them know about. Yeah, so you can definitely get all of my information on my website, which is www.marissatcohen.com. And that's Marissa with one S. And um, it has links to my Psychology Today blog, um, newspaper columns that I do, and any other articles that I appear in. Um, And I also do occasionally do free mental health workshops, like improv for self-care. And anything that I do is posted on my website. So I hope to see some of you at events in the future, or feel free to reach out with any questions that you have. We'd love to hear from you. And anytime Marissa says anything upcoming and she sends it to me, I will put it on my Instagram, Decompress with Jess. But we really appreciate everyone listening. And thank you for decompressing with Marissa and myself. Bye.